Good morning. Can I just say, worship team, where are you, all of you, before you run away? Can we just thank them? Thank you. You know, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And um, we are very grateful for, for what you guys do. So I'm going to jump right in this morning. I, I guess I should say hi. I haven't been here for, I think, two, I think two weeks. Um, and uh, so I do miss you guys when I'm gone. I was all running all over the place, went to Atlanta, went to California. And um, so it was a busy time. And, uh, you know, it's funny, you travel, and the people are like, how was vacation? And you, like, had seven meetings a day. You know, and you don't want to, like, well, it wasn't vacation. You don't want to be insecure. But, but I, I saw that with my parents growing up. They would travel three and two countries and multiple meetings and churches and ministry, and they come home exhausted. And, and people would come up to them in the church and be like, we're so glad you had a good rest. There's so many problems since you've come back. And they were, you know, just like, oh, my goodness. But... Um, Thankfully, you guys are all just beautiful and wonderful, so that, that never happens. So, um, I want to talk to you this series, and this morning is going to be a little different. Can we, guys, can we do a little different? Can we do a little odd? It's going to almost pretty much the whole morning going to just be laying a platform or a lens for what's going to come in the next month, maybe, maybe a few months. I'm not sure, but I want to talk about building blocks for partnership with God. There is a a misunderstanding rife in the body of Christ as to what it means to be a partner with God, a co-laborer with God. God seeks partnership with people all through the Bible, all through the Bible. There are so many stories we could read here, but so many stories I could even tell you personally and people I know that without partnership, certain things won't happen, yeah? Intimacy with the Lord for me is everything. But intimacy with the Lord must shift into actual partnership where the things that He desires to be done on the earth are actually done. Hello, are we awake? Do we agree? The Lord desires partnership. We have to see that. He actually desires it. And so I'm going to speak a little bit about that this morning. And I'm going to touch on prayer. I, I feel like a broken record sometimes. My wife tells me, say it again, say it again. And sometimes we, we, you're going to hear things you've heard again, but, but from a different perspective. So when I look at Scripture, I see three different structures of government, three forms of government. Governmental. What's the other one? I guess you're going to read it. Cheaters. Cheaters. Ecclesiastical and familial, meaning the government, like nation, Church and family. You, an argument could be, make it, could be made for the marketplace, but that actually depends on the governmental structure, whether that's a separate authority. And I see those forms and those structures, and is what I see here, it is actually my belief that one of those can't tell the other one what to do. Hello? They're separate forms of authority. They are. And I see that in Scripture. But it seems that at the moment that each one of these areas are going through massive changes. It feels like so many people I speak to, even in other churches, other leaders, it's like people don't know what to think or how to think or how to settle because everything is being stirred up. It's like in a house when parents are fighting, the kids just don't know how to be. And each one of these 
are going through major changes, some right, some wrong. When it comes to government, and it's not just the United States, people speak of the economy, people speak of division, there's all this talk about the dollar maybe not being the, uh, the, the currency, the world's major currency, major reserve currency anymore, and so people are very worried about that, and there's lots of talk about that. The inflation, there's retail uh, stores closing, don't Google it because you'll get sad, but there's retail stores closing across the country, big ones, big names. And so people are afraid. There's division in the land. Great division. In Isaiah chapter 5, I believe we're living in these days, where it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight in the land. And when authority opens a door to something, it matters. It matters. There are uh, sadly terrible stories I could say, but I, I don't even know. They're not family friendly. When certain authority structures in other countries that I'm aware of open the door and legalize certain things, what is the result almost within weeks? Things that have never happened before because the authority opens the door and something takes place. Brand new things. Terrible things. So when the government is there, but it is an authority. And a lot of people talk about a one-world order. Who hears this? Everyone's afraid. Oh, one-world order. Let me just settle that quickly. The Bible says, who believes the Bible? Oh, boy. That was... All right. It's time to go home. All right. So the Bible says that when Jesus comes back, he's coming back on a horse, which means war. He's coming with a scepter in his hand with which to judge the... Nations, so there will be nations. All right, so settled? <laughs> Hallelujah, that was fast. You guys are so sharp. Then we have the church. the church. The church is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is so much bigger than the church. The church is, in a sense, the agency through which the kingdom of God comes. That's why in Genesis 28, uh, the first phrase of the house of God, Bethel, is called a gate. It's a place of transition. That's, it's a gate that sits on the edge of two realms, the unseen and the seen. And through the church comes the manifold wisdom of God and makes it known to the earth, to the principalities and powers. And so the church is honestly always going through ups and downs. And it's actually because God is often restoring a truth, then the Lord is trying to speak about something, in a sense, into the earth or into a region. So the enemy will come along and pervert and twist it. And, you know, and so if you keep in step with the Spirit, sometimes it's like things are changing. Truth never changes. God changes not. But the church goes up and down as it learns to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Some of them get stuck. Things that are started in great power and great moves get stuck. They take something that God did do, and they stay there. Hello. Happened in Hezekiah's day. They took the bronze serpent out of the treasury. They're like, "Woo, God did a great thing. And they stuck, up, stuck it up against the wall and began to worship that. And then they gave it a name. They took something God did and made it everything. It's throughout church history it happened. So the church is there's a shaking going on in the church. There really is. Throughout the world, there's a shaking. And for 10, 15, maybe 20 years through the prophetic and through 
people that, in a sense, really hear the Lord, began to say there's a fresh move of God coming into the marketplace. Who remembers that? 80s and 90s. It was like a constant word. Into the marketplace. Into the marketplace. Now God's moving into the marketplace, changing the religious structures and how people think. And, you know, there's, there's people that won't be a part of certain companies because they're bad. But God is saying, no, actually go into that and bring light. It's a totally different way that some people have thought of before. So there are all these things, and the church is, in a sense, undergoing some change. And God is speaking a lot about identity. And look at what the world's saying about identity. Because the Lord's been restoring the truth of who you are and how that matters. Because of the authority that we carry. So the church is, is going through some changes as well. And I believe that the answer for today for America is not actually in the White House, it's in God's house. I, and I really mean that. And the scripture to the church is, awake, awake, put on strength, O Zion, that's the church, put on your beautiful garments, that's identity. And so God is actually doing things, wonderful things across the world, but some churches are being like, oh, it's, it's new, there's, there's actually nothing new. But there's truth that God is emphasizing for what's needed. And it all seems to be landing on families. Yeah? It all seems to be landing on families. Mostly our children. The next generation. All of the change and the... I mean, things that we didn't even know were things. And they're actually not things that are being said that are things. It, it's, you can't even keep up with the amount of change. I mean, it's unreal. And it's all landing on the family, on the family structure. Everything concerning family is trying to be redesigned. Everything. Everything. Marriage, gender, children, the authority of parents. Every, everything God designed is now, in a sense, up for debates, being challenged, because everything in the other two is like is changing, and sometimes they're fighting. They both forget their role, and so the family feels it. Am I speaking to someone? I think I think it's pretty pretty straightforward, right? And yet the scriptures say, "Has this?" Because there's nothing new. People think it's new. It's not new. Scriptures say, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Wrestle means it's going to become up close and personal. It's not a fire, it's not a sniper. It's in your face. It says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So it comes many times over that nothing is actually new but there are certain things that are old that just come back. It's like style. You know, young lady thinks, man, I'm trending. And you, the grandmother's like, no, we, we did that 50 years ago, babe. Like, it's not new. And it's the same in the spirit. Now, uh, I'm going to speak to you a little bit prophetically for a bit. That's who I am. I try sometimes not to, because people don't want to hear about me, they want to hear about the Word. And I agree with that. But 
couple of years ago, I'm driving in the car with my wife, maybe three years ago, and I shared this actually at an encounter night, and I just looked at her and I said, I feel like the old gods are coming back. She said, what do you mean? I said, I don't know. That's what I'm hearing when I pray. And I do believe that there are strongholds in the Bible, and I don't want to focus on the enemy, but this is just to give a lens. There are strongholds or, or gods or foreign gods, false gods, which are actually principalities, powers, even fallen angels, that they are, they're trying to dictate culture, yeah? They're actually ge geographically assigned, and, and we won't get into this. It's actually clear in the Bible. But I believe that they're the same, and they just come back with different names. Greeks call them one thing, Romans call them, but it's the same thing. And you see three of them, Baal or Baal, we grew up saying Baal, but you know, we came to America and learned real English, so <laughs> Baal, and you see Ashra or Ashtaroth or Ishtar, it's the same, it's like the Astropoles, and Molech. So you see those three over and over. And a little while ago, uh, boy, I'm wondering if I should... Can I speak to you guys real quick about a dream? I had a dream a little while ago, and uh, the Lord speaks to me very a lot in dreams, and some of them have actually really blown my mind. And I asked the Lord, why are you telling? I don't even know what to do with that. This was one of those, and um, I'm trying to make this really quick. Uh, I, the Lord came to me in a dream and took me to a place um, that was beautiful, just beautiful. And it was like ancient Greece combined architecturally with this world, modern world. And we were all walking around there, me and people I knew, some great men and women of God from the past, and just all walking around. And there was this, this house, like a, like a rancher house, but like a hall, just with glass doors, you know, but modern. And all the churches would each go in there and practice or, or have a turn to do deliverance. Now, deliverance is like a big thing now because of the movie, but I've grown up with it all my life. There's nothing new to me. And uh, so they were all doing that, and they were really struggling with this one issue. So they, they asked me in the dream, obviously it's my dream, so they asked me, can you, <laughs> can you come in here and, and, and help us? So I went in there, and there are these incredible men and women of God sitting right next to this woman who's sitting there, this absolutely beautiful woman, ageless. She, you couldn't tell if she was 16 or 30, beautiful, and sitting there. And they're like doing what they know to do, but nothing's working. And so I was kind of angry with these men and women of God, and I said, hey, just cast it out of her, man. Help her up. And, uh, and nothing worked, and she just smiled at me, and the smile of like, whatever. And one of them said to me, it's an enchantment. And all of a sudden, everything faded away, and this whole place, the beauty of the place, and I realized that it was all created like an illusion. It was all this enchantment, and none of that was there. And we were standing in this extremely old, like, um, end of the world, what's the word, apocalyptic, like nothing had been there for like 40 or 50 years, old. We were standing in an old train station, and she's sitting there on a chair, and I'm standing here. And then it came back to everything that she was, in a sense, creating. Everyone thought where we were, and I knew it was about the church, global. Like how the, the church is sometimes so quickly and easily pulled into things or deceived. And so I said to her, I know where we are. And she said, oh, no, you don't. I said, yeah, we're in the old train station. And she got so mad. And I woke up and I started to 
study because many years ago, if you're here, you know of the love I have for the story of Gideon, Judges 6. And I know that the Ashra, Ashra pole, which is like Baal in the, in the scriptures, Baal, it's like his lover in a sense. And she is the goddess of fertility and sexual morality and, and, and actually uh, climate change. Like climate, she is the one who seems to always put the earth over people. But God gave the earth to people. Hello. That's kind of happening now. She did that over and over. So this, and I knew that one of the names in a sense in old mythology and stuff was the enchanter. So I was like, I mean, I'm just being honest with you. A lot of that stuff, I'm like, Lord, why and what? Like, I just like reading the Bible. But the Lord shows me the stuff. So I went, I did some research, and um, I came across some amazing things. And this is why I'm just bringing it to you this morning. And I actually found some stuff by a guy called Jonathan Kahn. Uh, some of you may know him, but I had found it elsewhere too, and he confirmed it, because I'm now looking at what the Lord is showing me. And on the inscription, one of the ancient inscriptions written on this, uh, and she's come back with many different names. It's not about this false god. It's just that's what I saw, and I realized this is what the church is dealing with right now. That's what the Lord is basically telling me. One of the inscriptions on this old god, you wouldn't believe what it was. They used to write it on there, carve it in, because she was like a grove made out of wood and trees. And it says, I am a woman, I am a man. And they would sing a hymn to her, all the temple priestesses and stuff, and those who worshipped her, they would sing a hymn. These are the words of the hymn. She is the one who has the power to turn a man into a woman and a woman into a man. So, when the Bible says that we are fighting principalities and powers, things come up on the earth, and we're like, oh, this is crazy. I'm telling you, it's not new. It's not new. Israelites faced it over and over and over and over. And the Israelites would believe in God, then everything would go well, and then fall. Up, down, up, down. And sometimes there's hundreds of years in between. We just like, oh, it's just two pages. It's like, you know, a couple days. And I, I see this things, and because the church tends to get stuck in a certain way of being or thinking, they have no answer for it. Because they're like, well, God doesn't do it like that. Or God won't do that. Or God won't. And so then they start fighting people who are not your fight. We do not fight flesh and blood. So, that's exciting. Come back next week for good news. No. <laughs> and that's why I read the scriptures. Because the scripture says, be anxious for nothing. So with all of that, be anxious for nothing. Now David, we're going to look at the building blocks. And, and again, I know I'm just laying a platform today. But David was actually raised in a time like this. We may not think so, but think about it. The governmental system of, of, of Israel was moving from judges to the first king, Saul. David, that, that was all new. All the structures, everything's changing. People are, now there's an army and they've never had that before. And now there's a draft, they've never had that before. Everything's changing. And then that king deserts the Lord and does all sorts of stupid stuff and starts trying to kill the, the actual one that God's anointed. And so David raised up in this time. 
where Israel, the church, doesn't look the same, the government doesn't look the same. Families are being affected because now they're being called to be soldiers, and Samuel said, if you do this, that's what's going to happen. So everything is shifting. Everything is changing under David's feet, in a sense. And Saul, when told by God to go kill the Amalekites, he saves the king, King Agag. And Amalekites represent the culture that surrounds you. They're close to you. They were cousins to Israel. They're close to you. They're like you, but they're not like you. Just like people of the world. They're not bad. They're not, uh, they actually have the same value to the Lord that we have. I've talked much about that. And God loves them. And actually, we are called to them. We are indebted to them, the Bible says. We owe them the truth with love. And he doesn't kill the king. In a sense, he succumbs to the one who is influencing their culture. And he says, actually, I'll... I want to be in good favor with this guy. And so it's very similar. And David developed things in his life that were unprecedented before his day. He seemed to be able to partner and relate with God with all of this stuff, just like it is today. He seemed to have a link with God and a partner with God. He even broke the rules, so to speak, And he brought something into his day that without that partnership wouldn't happen. And so what happens, the problem is I read that and people go, Lord, we need a David. Lord, bring us a David. And we all wait for God to raise up a mighty man or mighty woman like a general. But I've come to understand, being a student of revivals, the enemy is not really afraid of generals. He's afraid of an army, which is you. When an army starts to recognize what's going on and puts their focus on the Lord and asks the Lord, how do we deal with this? What do we do? And actually adjust their life, not thinking God's just waiting for me to fall up and trip up. Get past that stuff and actually come to partnership. Lord, what do you want to do on the earth? Oh, a whole different world. And David, this is what we're going to look at inquired of the Lord. David strengthened himself in the Lord. David developed strategic use of strongholds. And because of those three, he learned how to fight, where to fight, when to fight. He inquired of the Lord, not seen before his lifetime. Was that sentence, I know Moses spoke to the Lord, and there was only two people on the earth in the Old Testament, that had the same desire, this longing, they never met each other, to build God a house. Lord, we love you so much, we just want you here. They said that, we must build God a house. One was Moses, one was David. One built the tabernacle, one built the worship. So he had this incredible heart for God, and he inquired of the Lord. It says it about, I think, nine times. Basic things. People think, well, he knows what to do, he's a king. He said, no, and I must inquire of the Lord. He constantly went to the Lord, not before seen. He then, he brought worship down into the earth, I think, of what he saw in heaven. And he established worship. Before that, it was just sacrifice. Now, it's singing. And he established musical worship because of what he saw in, the, in heaven. He established musical worship on the earth like never before, it had never been done, never been thought of, and they had, they instituted 33 years 
of constant 24-7 hours, 24-7, 365, seven days a week, every day, all day, musical worship for 33 years under King David with the ark, with the t- so he, 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 which we're going to get into. And then he had the strategic use of strongholds. Again, you don't see people before doing that, running to a stronghold. Now, we think of strongholds as a bad thing, a stronghold of the enemy. It is in Scripture, but it's also a good thing. A stronghold is a place where you run into in the midst of battle to rest, a fortress, a castle. Battle's raging. I could be at peace here, regroup, and go back. David did this like no one else ever did. And those three things that he did, I believe, each one of them are pointing at something in the New Testament. The stronghold is here. Renewal of the mind. The Davidic order of worship, which will probably take three weeks just to go through that. Prayer, to inquire of the Lord. Prayer. And these are tools... And those building blocks, how many of you, as you've gotten a little older, or really old like Todd, how many of you know that when you used to do something, it was like, oh, this is everything to me. And then you moved along, and then you did something else, and you moved along, and you realized when you're 50 or 60 or 40, if you're really lucky, you realized those things were actually different building blocks, different skills that now I can use all together to do this. Who knows what I'm talking about? You see it often in careers. They go from that to that to that to that, and they learn these different skills, these different building blocks that seem so different, but then they can take them all and make something very different and very new. They've learned each building block. That is what's going on here in the life of David. So we're going to read. It's a little lengthy, but you guys are good, right? We're going to read 1 Samuel 23 like 14 verses, and then a few more verses, and then we're going to move off of David and speak about prayer. So 1 Samuel 23, verse 1 to 14, David's, then David, they told David, saying, look, the Philistines, is it Philistines here or Philistines? Steens. The Steens are fighting Kehillah, is actually the way you say it, and they are robbing the threshing floor. Therefore David inquired of the Lord. He didn't react to warfare and say, oh, they're doing it. Let's get him, like the church is doing today. Something happens, and they're like, no, and then they're just fighting flesh and blood. He says, no, David inquired of the Lord. Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again. I love the humanity. I understand that. The Lord speaks, do this. You go to people, you're like, this is what we need to do. They're like, you're crazy. Okay, go back to the Lord. Lord, this is what you need to do. No, no, really, this is what we need to do. Is it just me? Some of you do that with yourself? This is, okay, Lord, I hear you. You get out of that, you go and get in the car by the time you get to work. That's crazy. I don't... I don't, and the next day, oh, absolutely. No, no, that's, that's crazy. It's here. And the Lord answered him and said, arise, <laughs> like do it. Arise, go down to Kehillah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your, land, into your hand. And David and his men went to Kehillah, fought, struck them with a mighty blow, and took away their livestock 
And so David saved the inhabitants of Kehilah. Now it happened, very important, when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, who was the high priest, fled to David at Kehilah. Why? Because Saul got all insecure and upset because all the priests, the actual priests, like to the Lord, they started liking David, and he was like, no, I don't like that. So he killed them all, including the high priest who wore the, the, the ephod of the high priest, which had the, the umen and the tumen, or the tumen, it depends how you say it, like, almost like stones of divination, which they would cast lots, how they would discover what the will of God was in the Old Testament. Who knows who's ever looked at that? And this like a very important thing, the high priest ephod. So Beathar, his son, you know what a Beathar means? My father is great. Someone with a father's heart. So it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, who is now dead, fled to David at Kehilah that he went down with an ephod in his hand. And Saul was told that David had gone down to Kehilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him. And, you know, Saul thinks, this is the Lord, but it wasn't. So go down to verse 9. When David knew that Saul plotted against him, he said to Abiathar, bring the ephod here. Strange thing to do. Can you say that with me? Bring the ephod here. And again, bring the ephod here here. Okay. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul comes to Kehilah to destroy the city for my sake. The people he's just saved. Will the men of Kehilah deliver me into his hand? He's just saved these people. Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. The Lord says, he will come down. They're like, yeah, he's coming. He's like, oh. So then David said, well, Will the men of Kehillah deliver me into the hand of Saul? <laughs> they will deliver you. So not good news. So David and his men, about 600, this has now started to form the mighty men of David. You know David's mighty men? That band, this is where they started. 600, about of them, arose and departed from Kehillah and went wherever they could go. And then it was told Saul that David had escaped. And then it says in verse 14, And David stayed in strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the wilderness of Ziph. One more quick section, a few chapters later. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. These are now those mighty men that he's trained and developed and taught and given skill and influence, and they've become great men. They get given a city by the Philistines, Ziklag, and David actually is now working, in a sense, to help the Philistines because Saul is so against him. Think about this. He is anointed and called as king of Israel. He's now working to help the Philistines. How many of you have ever found yourself, God says this to you, and you find yourself in the exact opposite position? It's just me and my mom. Right? Well, you know what happened? You know why that whole thing started? The scholars that are here, I encourage you, go do a study. It's fascinating. Every time it says, David inquired of the Lord, and every time it says, David thought to himself. A couple verses before that, it says, David thought to himself, I need to go do this. And because he did something without inquiring of the Lord, he invited a battle into his life that he didn't actually need. That wasn't the Lord's will for him at all. And the Lord gave him victory, but it was unnecessary. And that's what happened with Ziklag, and all their women and children were stolen. 
Um, and then it says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Very famous text. David knew how to strengthen himself in the Lord his God, which is strange to say that in Scripture it was always the Lord their God. So David had these strongholds. He knew how to strengthen himself, which is actually worship. Then he says in verse 7 again to priest, the priest Abiathar, please bring the ephod here to me. It's almost a footnote. But again and again in David's story, you see that, and it says then, and David inquired of the Lord. He did what he should have done in the first place. But he said, bring me the ephod, bring me the ephod. Now, I spent the whole day laying a platform. I actually wanted to speak to you about prayer. I'm going to go through some of this quick as I can. Obviously, we'll have to go through it next week. Prayer is ex very precious to me, very valuable to me. And I, I just, you just see the word prayer up there maybe, but I call it the waxing of prayer. There are things in the spirit realm that in Luke 180, I think it is, it says about Jesus and John the Baptist that they waxed, the actual Greek, they waxed strong in the spirit. It's like one layer of wax dries, another layer of wax dries, another layer. Little bit by little bit, you grow stronger and stronger and stronger. Prayer is such a thing like that. You wax strong in prayer. And so I don't want to, I'll quickly do this and give you a bit of a story mode version. But prayer is basically communication with God. Now, I know we've just done a series on hearing the voice of God and prayer. But I want to go through this as fast as I can. When I got saved, a, a longing started to build in me for one thing, the presence of the Lord. And it really started to build in me pretty strong. And I just had this desire to know His presence and to know the Lord and to have an awareness of God with me all the time. And sometimes that's unrealistic, but I, I just had this desire. I want to know the Lord. I want to know how to communicate with the Lord because from Genesis to Revelation, I see people talk to God and God talks back. And so, by the grace of God, and I really mean that, I came to two decisions. And I remember standing there and making the one and a year, about a year later making another. And I will say these two decisions, this is just me speaking about me, and I'm sorry to do that. They have actually guided my life. You know, sometimes you do something that seems small in the moment, but years, it seems tiny, but years later you realize that was actually a big deal. These two things, I remember standing one day, I was just saved a couple months, and I, I just made a decision. Because I was around all these intellectual guys and all their reasonings, and I just wasn't like, I just wanted to know the Lord. And I made a very simple decision. I'm going to choose to believe that the Word of God is infallible and every part of it is true. I'm just going to make that choice. People go back and forth and I just said, I'm going to choose to believe this. No matter what happens, the Word of God is the truth and I will build my life on it. That was one choice. A little while later, I made a second choice, which sounds very silly probably to most of you. But it is actually the second one that has caused me more mocking, insults, actually to die in a certain area, in a good way, to die to self. And it was this choice. Any time that I spend with Jesus is never a waste. It sounds silly, but to me it was everything. It just was everything. The 
because the simple truth that you emulate those you spend time with. It's true in marriage, it's true in every relationship. So I decided I'd, I will never be wasting time when I spend time with the Lord. And so I set my heart to become a man of prayer, which sounds nice. Sounds nice when you write it in your journal. I'm going to become a man of prayer. You know when you write down an intention and you walk away feeling good as if you've done it? You're like, man, I'm a man of prayer. No, I wasn't. I didn't done nothing. And so I wrote that down and I started to pray. And I learned some things very quickly. <laughs> very quickly. I learned that I was very quickly and very easily overcome in prayer. I learned that it was unnatural. It's not natural for a person to be like, I want to go pray. It, it, it's of the, of, of the spirit. It was, wasn't natural. It was hard. That my prayers mostly revolved around me. That's okay. Part of growing. I realized that I didn't know how to pray past the usual list of requests, or should we say complaints. And there was a constant battle that invaded my thoughts whenever I decided to pray, immediately. And it revealed to me something. I need the Word. This constant battle in my thoughts revealed to me one thing. I didn't actually have enough truth, and, which is authority, in my heart and all the questions that would come up, and I was raised around the things of God. I was raised, I saw God's power. I saw deliverance. I saw men and women of prayer. I saw prophets. I saw incredible things. But there's a difference between jumping into a stream of a river that's flowing, and I can swim. I'm a man, I'm a good swimmer. But you're swimming in that direction, and you think you're amazing. Versus now when I go to by myself to pray. When I was in the corporate, it was like, this is great. This is easy. But then I would go by myself, close my door, and start to pray, and I was overcome very quickly, very easily, even though I grew up around it, very easily. And I realized very quickly that the greatest hindrance in prayer is doctrine. Doctrine. Scripture. It's not a hindrance to pray, but without this, you overcome quickly. And so people have often asked me, and I, I don't mean this to point to myself. I'm just trying to be real. You guys good? People have asked me, how do you study the Word like that? How do you know the Word like that? How do you get revelation like that? The truth is, it was because I wanted to know how to pray. And I was so quickly overcome with questions and things like, you know, what's my thoughts? What's distractions? What's the enemy's accusation? What is the Lord putting His finger on versus me, actually the condemnation of the enemy? Can I pray like this? Am I allowed to speak like this? Why do I feel like he's not, can he hear me? What does the Bible say about that? All of that stuff, who knows what I'm talking about? Instantly. And because I wasn't shored up in truth, I didn't know what to do with it. Longing for God, loved God, loved his presence. But doctrine kept me and hindered me and I was overcome just like that. So I started to devour the Scriptures. Actually, not to get to know the Bible. That's a trap. It becomes hard quickly if you study for that reason. I started to devour the Scriptures because I wanted to know the truth so that when I prayed, I could actually know 
What's not true? What's the enemy? What's me? What's God like? And so I started to put the word into me as much as I could. But I still realized I don't even know how to pray. Like, like Pastor, thank you, you know, like a little, you know, children's church. I'd, and God made it easy to pray. It's the easiest thing in the world to pray. But after like the first five minutes, you're like, and I'm done. And so I didn't know how to do that. And then I saw this scripture. Romans 8 says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what, what we should pray. And I thought, okay. I literally used the Bible not as like, you know, I need to study the Bible. I saw it as a manual on how to do this, and a manual on how to know God. It was like a, like a working manual, like a, when you get a job. And I, th- I saw, oh, it says here, we do not know how to pray as we ought, but, for the, but the Spirit Himself make intercessions with groanings which cannot be uttered. Oh. Because I had been to some of the elders in the church that I was in, which is a large church, influential church, and this is not to pull any of them down, because I'm not telling you who they are. And I asked each one of them, 12, 12 men, each one of them, please help me how to pray. And all of them except one, they would give me a few things, and I'm like, yeah, I, I get that, but I want to learn. I would like, when I would press them, because now I'm going through a trial and error process, reading, trying, reading, trying. So when I pressed them a little bit on my, almost every one of them said to some degree this, the truth is I, I, I'm str- I struggle with prayer. I just, I prefer to study the Word. Leaders, almost every single one. And I was like, but I've given myself to pray. And it's like, I don't and I never heard preaching on it, and I never... And so I realized there are things about prayer that no man can teach you. There are things about communion with God that no man can teach you. That's what, and now that's actually not even what it means, but that became a revelation to me. You don't know how to do this. The Holy Spirit knows you don't know how to do this. He will help you. And I realized instead of trying to figure out here how to do it, just start. And so I just started to pray and ask the Lord questions I would ask people. Lord, I don't know how to do this. Yes, I need this. I need finances. Lord, help me with this. I pray for my, you know, my parents and there's friends and I need a wife and whatever it was at the time. Help me, Jesus. And then like, okay, that's great. Now I want, I want to know you. And so I started to ask him questions that I would ask people. And when I would get very quickly overcome in my mind with, is this the Lord? Is it a distraction? Is it me? I thought, well, this is actually wonderful. This is telling me what I need to read about in the Bible. I took it as direction. Something would happen. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like, oh, that's okay. I will go find out. And the next time that happens, I know, oh, that's the enemy. That's a lie. That's the Lord. That's actually, it's not a distraction. The Lord's reminding me, turn the oven off. You know, it's not a get out of my head, devil. No, the Lord's like, hey, no, turn the oven off. Like, then come back and pray. He'll remind you of things. 
And we, no distraction. No, nah, it's so bad. The Lord's like, no, it's, it's me. Like, you know, feed the dog, mow the grass, do stuff. And so I learned, I need tools. So every time I went to pray, I would take tools. The scripture, take my Bible, take a pen, take a notebook, take music. Worship. And I just started to figure out how to pray. Because David, a man after God's heart, who did some terrible things, and I had done some terrible things with my life. I had. But I saw this man, says he was a man after God's heart. No matter what he did. And then I saw this pattern. He inquired of the Lord. And I thought, I don't know how to inquire of the Lord. And no one was teaching me in church. Because there's some things they can't teach you. So we'll get into this next week, apparently. But one of the things that struck me about David, this one thing, he says, bring the ephod here. This is the ephod of the high priest. David was a king. Acts chapter 2 calls David a prophet. You know that? The Bible says he was a prophet. We see that, prophetic, with the Psalms. Yet he didn't use his gifting and the calling of God over him, king. He used neither of those to inquire of the Lord. He approached the Lord as a priest. And I thought, what the heck does that mean? Why did he? Because we in the New Testament, friends, hear me. You each have a calling. The hand of God is on your life. Whether you know it or not, it is. You each have many different giftings and strengths and weaknesses and whatever. But we, when we go to the Lord, we need to learn. First thing we must do, literally, first thing I started to do, is I would put on the robe of my high priest. Who's, the, who's our high priest? Jesus. And the Bible says that we can go to the throne of grace with confidence, with boldness. David understood that in the Old Testament. So he broke the rules and wore the high priest robe and went into the presence of the Lord and started to speak to the Lord and inquire of the Lord to get answers. And I learned, oh, I need to literally take everything Jesus did on my behalf that I can't do. He won righteousness for me. He killed sin for me. He's forgiven me of everything. I need to put his actual high priest robe on. Hebrew says this. And then, no matter what I'm going through, I can go into the presence of the Lord as a priest, not according to my gifting, not according to my calling. I can go into the presence of the Lord as a priest and ask Him anything I want. Because when He looks at me, He sees the high priest robe of Jesus Christ. What would happen if you actually, not here, if you believed what I just said? Ask yourself that. What would happen if you believed that God 
wants you to come into his presence, that you can go into his presence, even the most holy place, with Christ's robe on, and ask whatever you want, and he will speak to you. What would you ask the Lord if you believe that? What would you talk to him about? David did that before it was even allowed to be done. We'll have to get into this next week. Prayer. I hope that's helpful to you. It's just a beginning. Because of all that's going on, everything's shifting and changing. People are like, oh, I don't know what to do. Well, there are building blocks that we need to develop personally so that we can bring them together. Prayer, worship, strongholds, and then how do we stand without fighting people with those three things. And that's what we're going to look at. It may take a couple months, but I believe it's what the Lord is calling us to as a church. Amen? Why don't we stand? Josh, can you come pray for us? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the word that Clayton brought. And we just thank you for the study on this, Lord. And we just thank you that uh, you're bringing these things to light, that we can break through and be a, a light in this world against even the old gods, even as they come and manifest in different ways that in, on the earth here today, Lord. And we just thank you that we can partner with you to be your vessels to bring your world and your culture of heaven down here on earth. And we just thank you. We give you all the honor and the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.